Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. This is Kathy. I'm your host for today's episode. Just a reminder that today's podcast will be available on these platforms, podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook. We're also on Twitter at All Things Erie, Erie with three E's from Erie PA, and Instagram at Kathy with a K, B-R-D-L-Y. I would like to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast We've had a lot of new downloads, some from new countries. Uh, If this is your first episode, you can go back and download the previous episodes and listen to them. This is episode 23. I hope that everyone's had a wonderful weekend. Hopefully part of this week, I know this is a little bit late for the podcast to be downloaded, but uh, we had our granddaughter this past weekend and she has certainly kept us hopping and if any of you have kids you know the lovely sound of children being sick and i know most people don't like talking about this but hey then again we talk about murder so uh, you know people being shot in the head being mutilated cut up vomit kind of going back and forth there you know so but Our granddaughter got sick over the weekend and not in a sick viral kind of way, but she just got sick and she got sick all over the bed, carpet, me, floor in the hallway and the walls in the hallway and pop pop and you name it. She got sick on it. Poor kid. And as I was trying to get her to the bathroom, Remember I said she got sick on the hallway floor? Yep, I slid right on it and fell right in it. And right on my arse, hard. Because hardwood floors, yeah, there's nothing to cushion it. But I gotta say, hardwood floors versus carpet, much better to clean. So, but as I'm sitting there and she's getting sick, I'm calling for my partner, nothing didn't hear me, not a peep, not a word. All this little girl has to do is go pop, pop, whoosh, there he is. And I'm just like, okay. But this sweet little girl is sitting there and she's being sick. And we're just like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And the only thing she says is, pop, pop, Mia was in the bed with me and I got the petter. And for those of you I know I don't talk a whole lot about what goes on in our house and stuff like that, but Mia is our cat. It's either Mia or Mama Kitty. One of the two. She doesn't care. She just, she doesn't care about anybody. She's a cat. She's, she's an asshole most of the time. A lovable asshole, but she's an asshole. This cat does not like anybody. She thinks that everybody's out to get her, just flies through the room. You know, most days it's like, okay. But this little girl loves this cat, wants to be around her, doesn't bother her. But the cat, she like knows when she's coming in the house and it's like whoosh into the closet, whoosh under the bed and hides the entire time this child's here. But all this child wants to do is to pet this cat. And the moment she gets to see this cat is ecstatic. And in the middle of being sick, that's her story. No joke, she's, we are covered in yuck. And she's telling Pop Pop about the cat. Little kids, gotta love them because they just make your day. 
doesn't matter what's going on, but they can make your day. That's all she was worried about was the cat was in bed with her, laid down by her head, and she got to pet her. And it's like, okay, she's not worried about anything else, which is good. Got her cleaned up, got her put into bed, and we started cleaning up everything else. But she, she was good. That's the important part. You know, it's just one of those things. And this cat, like I said, loves to hide. And she even tries it with me. And I just look at her and I'm like, you know what? Just stop. Just stop. And then she'll stop and she'll look at me and be like, all right. And I don't know why it works with her. Maybe I bore her to death. I don't know. Who cares? But eh, it is what it is. But kids, kids are awesome. Love kids. Work with kids. The only ones I have issues with are the ones that try and hit me in the head with footballs. And I'm talking American football. And that's a story for another time. So we're going to step on into our, our episode. That is going to take us a step back into time, into Canada, 1941. And I'm going to talk about the Belcher Island Massacre. And this episode is not going to be like the Vallow Daybell episode. I'm not going to try and be as harsh. And when I say not be as harsh, I know I was snarky, sarcastic, but I have my own personal issue about Vallow, Daybell, and that, you know, there will be another update coming soon since uh, Vallow is now back in Idaho. But I can't judge these people for what happened. I wasn't there. So a little bit about the Belcher Islands. There, I apologize up front. I tried working with these words before I did this podcast. So in advance, I do apologize. Belcher Islands are an archipelago in the southwest part of Hudson Bay. These islands are spread out over almost 3,000 square kilometers or 1,160 square miles. And I'll post pictures of this because they are super cool to look at, especially when they have snow covering them or around them. They, they just really are cool to look at. They belong to the territory of Nunavut, Canada. This is on the north coast of Flatter, Flattery Island. And it's the southernmost of that region is in the territory of Nunavut, Canada. That hamlet where the majority of the inhabitants live is on the north coast of Flatterly Island and is the southernmost in Nunavut. Along with Flatterly Island, the other large islands are Kugong Island, Tukarak Island, and in Inatalin Island. I hope I didn't butcher that one too too much. The other main islands in the 1500 island archipelago are Moore Island, Wigand Island, Split Island, Snape Island, and Mavor Island, while island groups include Sleeper Islands, King George Islands, and Baker Dozens Island. Now, although the indigenous people have lived among these islands since 500 BC, the Belcher Islands sit along the Hudson Bay and was sighted by the English navigator Henry Hudson in 1610 and named for Sir Edward Belcher. 
who commanded an Arctic expedition in search of Sir John Franklin, which is just a little fun fact. The indigenous people of the area were essentially isolated up until 1916, which is really weird to wrap your mind around. For those of us that were born way back when, I wasn't born that far back when, um, my father was born in 1938. And his father was born around that time frame. So, and I knew my grandfather. So it's really hard for me to think about that, that that area was isolated in the time of my grandfather. So that, I mean, that's really interesting to think about that. When a mining engineer named Robert Flattery was shipwrecked and spent a winter in the islands, he had produced a famous documentary Nanook of the North, which I've heard of. This showed the lives of the native people in a manner that was somewhat fictionalized. Now, never saw the documentary. Like I said, I heard of it, but I never seen it. So I really cannot comment on it. But whenever something has, quote unquote, somewhat fictionalized, and I know you cannot see this, but I'm using my fingers to quote unquote, or based on a quote unquote true story, things are usually taken out of context and made to make the movies better. And it's always done that way. Now, back in the winter of 1941, it was a harsh winter, even for Canada standards. And I can only imagine, and this is by eerie standards, because we've had some very harsh winters while living up here. And if anybody remembers a few winters ago where where we made national news for those 25 inches of snow on Christmas. So that in itself, I can imagine it being very harsh up there. Now this was especially so for those on Belcher Island, the remote place, which is just below the Arctic Circle, it offered very little, very little vegetation. And, and like I said, I'll post pictures because these islands, they're islands, but it's actually just one big rock that is slowly making its way above the water. But with climate change, it says, it said that it was slowly rising two centimeters above the water every year but had slowed to one centimeter per year. With, like I said, cl climate change, I don't know how much it has changed since then. However, the islands were made by a, a glacier plate and the, the lines that it made on this rock are just so cool to see. But when this glacier went over this rock, the lines, that it made it took off the topsoil so there's no way to plant anything it's just it's bad for them and for any animals but it's just so cool to see okay so back to the episode like i said it offers very little vegetation in warmer months and in that particular winter there were very few seals walruses or even the Arctic hares that go up there for these people to hunt. The residents had spent the long winter nights inside their igloos. Sometimes reading the translated copies of the New Testament portion of the Bible that was brought to the Belcher Islands just a few years prior by traders and missionaries. So one night during that bleak season, 
there was a spectacular meteor shower which illuminated the skies. And this was when a 27-year-old Charlie Oyerak considered himself, who had considered himself, who considered himself Angakok. I really hope I'm pronouncing that that one right. The tribal shaman and considered Jesus the white man's Angakok. Oyerak proclaimed himself an Inuit Jesus saying, I'm Jesus Christ preparing the people for when the other Jesus comes. Oyerak connected the celestial event with a passage from Matthew out of the Bible. The stars will fall from the sky and you will see the Son of Man coming. How he interpreted this, soon it will be the end of the world. Oyerak then, when he proclaimed himself Jesus Christ, and, anoint, and then he anointed his friend Peter Salia, who, why he did this was, <clears throat> who, Peter Salia was the tallest man on the island, and he was the best hunter and ice navigator. He anointed Peter as God. And I'll be honest with you, for those who were on the island, this was not what they saw coming. And the men painted an uplifting version of this wonderful life. It was fast approaching. It would be free of hunting, fishing, work, and hunger, which, you know, anybody who lives a hard life, you're being told, you know what, no, don't worry about it. You ha you're going to have this wonderful life coming to you. You're going to be free of pain. You're going to be free of just everything. You don't go you're not going to have to work anymore. You're not going to have to worry about money. Don't worry about it. We'll show you the way. But at the same time, they ordered most of the sled dogs killed because think about it. There's not going to be a need for sled travel at the end of the world and also fewer means of escape for those that were non-believers. You know, kind of like an early version of Jim Jones. So the duo's first holy act was killing those sled dogs, which, like I said, stopped the escape of the non-believers. But my question was, if they were having such a hard time finding food, did they allow them to eat those dogs? Because that would have not been unheard of. There was a teenage girl near, named Sarah Apakok. She disagreed that Peter was God on the inside. He declared her to be Satan. Now, you can't have God standing in front of you and someone saying, nope, he's not, that's not God. Her half-brother, who was a very zealous follower of the two men, brutally murdered her himself by hammering her head in with the barrel of a rifle. And soon after, two men who were non-believers were also killed. So taking care of all the non-believers that stood up first. And we've had that in the past with some of the stories that we've done. In March of that year, six people died in one day who had frozen to death after Peter's sister, Mina, believing that Jesus' arrival was imminent, herded men, women, and children onto the ice in the harbor and ordered them to strip off their clothes so they can meet their savior naked. Now, we all know how that would go because of anybody who has listened to Elizabeth Bathroy or about Elizabeth Bathroy, who would do that for fun with some servants. In the middle of winter, she would have them strip naked and throw 
ice water on them to watch them freeze to death. But here's the kicker on this one. All of these people were both Mina and Peter's family. In the New Testament, the New Testament, which had been introduced into the area fairly recently, it had, it had only taken a matter of years for the good book to be used to disastrous effects, which in, in history, it's not the first time. Now, this is a quote from a book called At the End of the World, A True Story of Murders in the Arctic, which was written by Lawrence Millman. Years later, the people who had survived, they were embarrassed by what had happened humiliated. As one man said, quote, if your daughter was raped, would you go around talking about it? He thought these murders made him made them look primitive. At the time, the Inuit in the Belcher Islands weren't primitive. They were traditional. Still, like a lot of na native people in the U.S. and Canada, they wanted to erase the past because they wanted to be just as up to date, technology savvy as everyone else in the world. This is part of global globalization. Part of this book that Millman wrote, he was comparing what happened in the past to what was going on in the present with people using technology as a new form of religion. But we're not going to talk about that in this episode. Now, going back to talking about Mina, Mina thought Jesus was kayaking down from the sky, a literal individual who would come down and save them by kayaking down to earth. And the people who were at the fore of this were people who were at the fore of the culture. Out of, out of the nine that were killed, that was the family members that I was talking about that when Mina took them out onto the ice and had them stripped down, she had run around the village declaring that the world was at an end and she had an Inuit dog whip, which this whip can whack off your ear or take out an eye. When the murders had finally stopped, the people on the mainland finally found out about the murders from Peter Salia. He actually had the sense to go, go and find someone to tell them. He had been very divided about this. He was God on the one hand, but he was also a fairly rational human being. He himself had led an expedition of scientists in the 1930s to Belcher. He even knew a little English. He told the Hudson Bay Company person on the mainland that there had been three murders. Because at this point, he only knew of three at the time because the other six were occurring when he was absent. Immediately, the Hudson Bay Company telegraphed the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and said, you better come. There are murders on these islands. And not only... Were there no ministers or priests on these islands? There were no police either. And this is what they found out about Peter. And this was during um, some interviews that they had taken a at the time. They thought that it was very scatterbrained because on one hand, they thought he thought of himself as God. On the other, he was a very rational person. And like we said, in, back in 1930, he led scientists to Belcher Island. Before the expeditions, he had told members of the Hudson Bay Company about the murders. Peter and Charlie were exi exiled from the island by the community indefinitely, and most of their testimony read about honest misinterpretation of the Bible. Also, talked about the harsh weather and the strain on the hunting season, because remember, these guys were hunters. The islands themselves, like I had said prior, there were no police, no social services on the islands. The 
people who had to contact him because the only way they found out about him is because Peter had spoken up was the Hudson Bay Company. They're the ones that called the Royal um, Canadian Mounted Police. And again, like I had said prior, ultimately Peter Salio and the and Charlie were he was sentenced to a couple of years of hard labor and imprisonment, and then they were exiled from Belchers for uh, for the rest of their lives. Lives. And in a summary of this, they were declared that they were blind by religion and and criminally insane. They had originally intended to display Canadian law in remote areas of Canada, meaning the judges and things like that. They had failed to see the abnormality of the atmosphere. Prosecutor himself had argued against the death penalty. This is one of the reasons why the court took so such a soft approach. The hardships of the Inuit community soft softened jur jurors, lawyers, and judges. And they said that Canadian law reigned over the Inuit, but rather brought them to their uh, senses because they, they said that punishing them would make no impact on the community. The jury themselves believed that believed and thought that Canadian law cannot apply to such a remote area. But what do we find at the end of this? That the harshness of life can make us do desperate things. That even in what we believe, we can find that maybe there are things that might be a better way if we just stop and listen. That it's not always all or nothing. And that all life is precious. Even if it's someone who we don't agree with. For Peter Salia, he ended up having to leave the only place he ever knew and all of his family for those that didn't die. Would he have agreed for his sister to have rounded up his entire family and put them out onto the ice naked and let them freeze to death? Somehow, I don't think so. Both Charlie and Peter ended up with the light sentences compared to what they could have received. But for them, I think it was the harshest punishment of all to be exiled from the place of your birth, from the only place that you ever knew. But then it stands to question, would either of them have been able to look any of the people in the eye ever again? If there had been a priest on the island, would it have been different? Both men would have been able to ask questions about what they were reading. But there's always what ifs. If you look back in history, there's always examples of people taking the Bible literally. And you always can ask, what if there would have been a priest there? Could they have asked questions? But then again, it always asks, begs the question, what would the priest have said? Was the, would the priest have taken the Bible as liter literally also? So leaving it at that, that is my story for today, and I hope you have enjoyed it. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to go to any of these platforms, Facebook and Twitter, at all things eerie, eerie with three E's, from Erie PA and Instagram at Kathy with a K, Bradley, B-R-D-L-Y. You can go to podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, and Facebook to download other episodes. Please don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Again, I would like to thank everyone who's been listening to the podcast. And this is Kathy, signing off.